Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. My on? Does that sound good? There we go. I can hear my own voice. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, well, like you, I, we, I still cannot believe uh, that we are still kind of going through COVID in some respects. That there's still things, uh, places I go where I have to wear a mask. Um, you know, and, and it's ruined a lot of areas of our lives. Some of them very serious. We've lost people that are very close to us, important to us. Um, also just, I mean, it's also been really annoying, if we're honest. Just, it, it's been annoying at this point. And, and for me, selfishly, I mean, very selfishly, and I'm saying this, one of the things that's really upset me about COVID is the fact that I don't go to concerts. And so, and I'm serious. I have not been to a concert in two years uh, my next concert's, I think, in February, so it's been a long time. I love going to concerts. I love the energy. I love feeling the bass and the volume and the artistry and everybody hyping each other up. It's such a strange phenomenon, though, you know, going to concerts. I'm going to sporting events. Maybe that's your thing. Um, or if you're like me, you like concerts and sporting events, which means you don't have a lot of money left over for, for other stuff in your life. There, there's things like Obviously, it costs your time, right? That whole evening, there's gas money, um, concessions, you know, like $12 for a hot dog, and just, it's insane. And of course, the price of the tickets is astronomical. And then if you want a tour shirt or a jersey, man, those things add up. And it looks cool in your closet, but also nobody sees it but you. And so it's like, why don't I spend all this money? And so we invest so much time in, in, in things like concerts and, you know, we could dance, we can chant, we can get completely into it and make just a fool of ourselves in, in front of the people that we're going to see. But the truth is that they don't recognize us. They don't know who we are. I mean, there's been a couple of times where I've been a roadie where maybe they saw me and recognized me. But realistically, when we go to concerts and we invest everything into the performance, they don't even see you right? They just see darkness and lights, and they're concentrating on doing their thing, and so they don't even know you're there, even though you're having, like, the best time of your life. And so it's very one-sided. And yet at the same time, I always leave, or most of the time. I've had some bad experiences, but I'll leave a concert, and I will say, that was awesome. That was so awesome. I'll talk for days, weeks. I've talked with some of you about concerts I went to at Red Rocks years ago, still buzzing over those concerts. And even though it's a one-sided transaction for the most part, it's acceptable because we are entertained, right? We are entertained. We get our money's worth. So we sacrifice that time and the resources for that entertainment value, even though these artists have no idea who we are. They don't know that we exist. And so I mentioned this because this week I was talking to a lot of um, former people I was in ministry with, other pastors in my old family of churches, about the, the idea of people leaving a church. And so there, there's nothing more crushing, like heart-wrenching, than having somebody leave 
your church. It, it just breaks a pastor's heart. We know you. We've prayed for you. We've had meals with you. We've done everything we can, hopefully, to minister to you and help you know the Lord more. And then so when you leave, it, it is just, it is so sad. Now, having said that, like life happens, there are reasons people leave a church, and they're perfectly fine. I mean, my family, we left our last church, right? We did. And so there's times where that's perfectly okay. People move, right? And there's legitimate reasons. If you're hearing a heresy preached, yes, run. Run away from that church. If you're singing pointless songs that don't engage your mind and your heart and aren't worshiping God, you don't need to waste your time doing that. If you're in a church where you're being abused, don't stay in that relationship. You don't need to do that. But most of the time, like the conversations we were having, it's not those issues. Like we are, we are not abusing people. And so what we find is the reason people leave church is because of the entertainment value. The entertainment value. They don't like uh, the worship, the worship songs. They don't like the service. They don't like the fact we pray so much. And so assuming that you have a Bible-believing Jesus-exalting Jesus church, you know, faithful church, if you leave that church, it has to be for at least one of two reasons. The first is not understanding the order of service, understanding why you're at church and why you were doing all the things that you were doing. Like, why are we praying so much? Didn't we just pray? Are we praying for the third and fourth time? Really? Why are we reading so much scripture, right? How many songs are we going to sing? Are they going to keep asking for money? Why do they keep talking about Jesus so much? Which was literally a complaint at the last church that I, that I went to from a visitor. Talked about Jesus too much. Yeah. And so the, the other thing is, again, people treat a service like it's a concert. And they ask themselves when they leave church, am I entertained? Or what did I get out of this? And this is a true story. I remember... Um, standing side by side with one of my old pastors and a lady coming up to him after service and saying, I didn't enjoy worship today. And he just gave a pastor smile and said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> and the person, oh, it, they got comically mad. I mean, just made fists. They were so steaming mad that he said that. And I thought it was pretty bold. But she came back within a couple days and completely understood where we were coming from, gained this whole new concept about worship. So it was good. It was good. But one of the main things that, that's missed and the difference between going to a concert and going to church is that when we come to church and we are worshiping and we're singing and we're getting psyched up and enjoying this, is that the person we're here to see sees us also. It's a huge difference. God does, does see us and recognize us. And he's not here to entertain us, but to transform us, right? So ask yourself, am I being transformed, not entertained? Not if James is a good comedian, but am, is he teaching me? Is he helping me to know more about the Lord and be more like the Lord? And so the Lord actually does this through the worship service. As we go through the service, we are transformed. And that, I believe, is a successful service. And so the title of our sermon today is New Order, because starting in January, we are going to have a new order of service. Not a, whole, but not a whole lot different. I mean, not insane changes, but we're going to add some stuff 
to service. And so this morning, this is going to be a topical sermon. Looking at Scripture, you know, this isn't James's opinions or ideas about what we should do, but looking at Scripture and incorporating elements into our service as we move forward. And maybe these are things that Vanguard has done in the past, and we just sort of, over the last year, just stopped doing them, and so we have a new order of service. But in January, it's going to look a little different. So, yeah, let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, thank you uh, that you're here, that you are present, that you see us, um, that as we come uh, and sacrifice our time and give you sacrifice of praise and resources, um, that we know that you engage with us and you enjoy it, Lord, and you see us. And so um, I ask for all of us, Lord, that you would accept our worship, enjoy it, and then may we know that you enjoy it, Lord, and may we be even better worshipers of you and understanding why we do the things we do, Lord. And may everything we do lift up the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. So let's quickly start by looking at Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And just a heads up, um, this is definitely a sermon where, because it's topical, we are going to be going all over the Bible. So if you want to try to keep up with all the passages... Feel free to do that, but also they're going to be on the screen, and you can go back later, and, and we could take a look at those later on. <clears throat> so in Hebrews it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so I already believe, based on your faithful attendance, and I do believe this church has faithful attendance, that you guys already know we're supposed to meet, Right? Yes, all right, so we don't even have to worry about the fact that, that, we, that we need to meet. But why do we meet? Why do we come together Sunday morning? So I found this, this really cool poem by Charles Spurgeon. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, you need to find out who Charles Spurgeon is. Great preacher. But he wrote this, Some go to church to take a walk. Some go there to laugh and talk. Some go there to meet a friend. Some go there their time to spend. Some go there to meet a lover. Some go there a fault to cover. Some go there for speculation. Some go there for observation. Some go there to doze and nod. The wise go there to worship God. I thought that was cute, but it's true. If you're here, I mean, there's, there could be many reasons why you're here, but the reason you should be here is to worship God. This is a worship service. So... Why are, why are we worshiping? Why do we have a worship service? Just getting very basic. Well, I would say the most basic reason that we have a worship service is that it's commanded. And so in Exodus 20, 3 through 6, it says this. This is God talking, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so God commands our worship. This is a commandment that God would be the highest person in our life. Everything else would submit to God in our lives takes it seriously. And it says here, in this commandment that he sees, 
right? He sees what we do and he reacts to our worship. So this is pretty serious. He's like, if people hate me, I'm going to react to that. And if people love me in their worship, I'm also going to react to that with steadfast love. And now there's many verses that express our desire to worship God and why God is worthy of worship, right? But the question is, how do we do that? When we meet Sunday morning, how do we determine why we do the things that we do? In the Old Testament, just like today, the first part of worship is obedience. And so every other day of the week that we're not at church, being obedient is your worship. If you believe in God and worship God, your obedience is your worship to God. But when we meet with other people, there's things that we're supposed to do. We don't have a temple anymore. We don't have all those cool festivals anymore. We don't have constant sacrifice anymore. So what are we to do? And I think the best way to look at this is in John chapter 4, 24, where Jesus says, right, Jesus is the one, the one we're worshiping. Let's, let's see how he wants us to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking that this morning because, like, we're going to be there in a couple weeks anyway. As we go through John, we will spend a lot of time. That's probably a whole sermon just right there. But what I do want to get from this is the fact that we worship in spirit and truth. Like, Jesus sets, like, like that is what Jesus wants from us. And so spirit meaning like from deep within us, in our mind, in our heart, what we truly believe, he wants that spirit of us to worship him. He wants, he wants to be the object of our affection more than anything else in our lives. Someone much smarter than me said, worship is the art of losing self in the adoration of another. Worship is the art of losing self in the adoration of another. I couldn't, I heard it somewhere and I couldn't figure out who said it, whoever's out there. You know, someone said it and it's true. And speaking of truth, he wants to be worshiped in truth. And so, as we see this play out Sunday morning, as we learn more about God, that provokes our adoration. Every time we learn something about God, it provokes worship, God's goodness, grace, holiness, love, even conviction of sin, even when God convicts us and maybe the sermon, you know, it really you know, rubs us the wrong way or makes us feel bad. That, that's, that's a blessing to us. And I'm so thankful to God and I praise God for that as well. But we must worship God in truth, which means worship who God really is, right? Not some idea we have about God, not some misunderstanding we have about God, not who we want God to be, but we must worship. If we're actually going to worship God, it has to be actually who God is. Now, here's the unfortunate thing about Jesus' statement here. It doesn't give us directions, it doesn't give an order of service. It doesn't go into two chapters about how to do a Sunday morning service. And so to understand this, we're going to be all over Scripture, especially the New Testament, looking at what believers did when they went together. You know, what, is, what does Paul say? What does Peter say about when we gather, what are we supposed to do? And it's from that that we'll set up our order of service. And so the first thing I want to look at, of course, if we're going to worship in truth, is the Word of God in the order of service. We have to know who we're worshiping. And so there's five ways here at Vanguard that we're going to utilize Scripture in our order of service. Even a sixth sometimes we'll see. 
And the first is a call to worship from Scripture. Did we ever do that at some point at Vanguard, a call to worship? No. So a call to worship is at the very beginning of a service. This is like game on, right? Now it is time. Come into the presence of the Lord. Block out whatever you were thinking about. Don't think about, you know, whatever game, you know, football team is going on. Now is the moment where we are going to absolutely focus. We should already be getting into the presence, but I mean, that's it. Like, that is the moment you know that we are called into the presence of the Lord, and we do that by reading Scripture. For example, Psalm 136, verses 1 through 3 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so this will be done by somebody in the worship team almost every week. And so, yeah, this is the moment we know from Scripture. Like, let's do it, guys. Let's absolutely worship our God. Now, the second thing, um, again, probably new, probably new, is the confession and assurance. Confession and assurance. Anybody heard of confession and assurance? Hands? A couple of people? All right, good. Because I, I had several of you tell me that we should do this, which is good because I wanted to do it. And so that, that's awesome. And uh, for those of you uh, who didn't raise your hands, confession and assurance, it has two pieces to it. And the first piece uh, is a reading of Scripture that has to do with sin, Right? We want to, to understand the concept of sin, to understand the gospel and the importance of Jesus. We must understand what sin is. And so we're going to read from Scripture something about sin, like John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so after this, we're going to have a minute, maybe even two, which is a really long time because there's going to be silence. We're going to have silence, and we're going to contemplate sin, that thing we don't want to think about. But we're going to think about it because that's why we're here. We're going to think about that sin. We're going to confess our sin silently. Silently confess our sin. Understand the weight of it, how God sees it. And then after that, we'll read a verse about our assurance that we have in Christ, that our sin has in fact been dealt with, such as Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so we do this to remind ourselves of why we're here right off the bat. This is why we're excited. This is why, this is why we do this every week our sins are forgiven. Understand that burden of sin so that we could feel that freedom from sin, so we could worship more. And then the third aspect, um, which is the reading of Scripture. Just the reading, straight up reading of Scripture. And we find this in 1 Timothy 4.13, where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says pretty plainly, uh, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so the way that will look here is we will read a scripture from the other testament from which we are reading. So right now in the next uh, first half of next year, we'll be reading scripture from the Old Testament. And so it'll tie in. If it's not referenced directly into the sermon, it'll be the same theme or theology. There will be a reason that we're reading this scripture. 
And that's awesome because we will get the whole counsel of God, both testaments every week. We will be in there no matter what. And that's awesome because it's the Word of God. But it's also cool because I'm not going to read it. And so one of you will be reading Scripture every week. And so this is a great chance for anybody who's never been a part of the service, who wants to come up here and be part of the worship service up here and bless everybody else in the congregation, and especially women and children. Women and children, I want you guys to come up here and read Scripture. I'm so excited about that aspect of it. And one of the reasons that we're making a new order of service is to create more space so that you can hear me less. And so there's going to be more opportunities for people to come up here and read and to pray. And so the fourth is expository preaching. Expository preaching. Now, Brian Chappell, who wrote my favorite book on preaching, Christ-Centered Preaching, and if you ever want to preach or you're thinking about writing a sermon or what that looks like, first off, don't look at me as an example, but read Brian Chappell's book, Christ-Centered Preaching. He says this about expository preaching. The main idea of an expository sermon, the topic, the divisions of that idea, main points, the development of those divisions, all come from truth of the text itself contains. No significant portion of the text is ignored. In other words, expositors willingly stay within the boundaries of the text and do not leave until they have surveyed its entirety with its hearers. And so this is what we've done, right? This is what we've done for two months. In two months, we've only gone through two chapters. And so we've dug in and we've unpacked and we've connected all of this stuff in in the Gospel of John, right? And so I, I truly believe that this is the best way to understand Scripture, to understand it in its context, to understand the traditions, to understand why people say what they say, what their sayings mean then as to what they mean now and how it applies to our lives. And so I believe taking the time, not ignoring any verse, but reading it in its actual context is absolutely the way to go. Having said that, I'm not doing that this morning. Um, And so we'll do this, I'd say, 95% of the time. More than 95% of the time, our sermons will be expository. And so this morning, for example, this is what's known as a topical sermon. We're just talking about a topic, our order of service, and I'm just going to get verses from everywhere. And it has its place. It does have its place. Sometimes we're going to need to have these sermons. And for instance, next week, you know, we're going to have a Christmas sermon. Spoiler alert. Christmas sermon, and then Easter. Again, spoiler alert, we're going to have an Easter sermon, and so there's going to be times where we will break away from that verse by verse, but most of the time, no, we are going to become experts. You guys are going to be experts of the Gospel of John. By the end of next year, you guys are going to know that book. And so the fifth way that we're going to incorporate Scripture is in the benediction, which we already do. And this is our final encouragement and blessing at the end of a sermon. That's the purpose of it. Because look, I, I, could, I could say, like, I, w- I want you guys to have a super rad, awesome week, right? And they do. That's true. But those are my words. And so the reason we have a benediction is to use the words of Scripture so that as you go out, as you leave, the last thing you hear is an encouragement from the Word of God. And again, a- a- as it will be this morning, um, I don't want to do this. I want to give space for other people to come up and give this benediction and read scripture and bless each other as we go out because this is 
Christ's church, and it's our church. And so we will worship God in spirit and truth by going through the Word of God and learning truth, right? And so next we have prayer in the order of service. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so the church of Acts knew, like that's the early, early church. You want to talk about what did the early church look like? Like that was day one, is get in the Bible, talk about doctrine, talk about the Bible, and pray together. Like they knew, it's like peanut butter and jelly, like they just, they belong together. Um, I believe, you know, in your prayer life, if you want your prayer life to take the next step, have an open Bible when you pray. You want your Bible study to take the next step, pray as you study your Bible. So the prayer and Bible have to go together. And so there's three reasons in our order of service that we pray. Three reasons, and these aren't the only three reasons or the top three reasons. These are just three reasons to be aware of, of why we pray. And the first is that God hears and enjoys it. This is not a concert. We are not shouting to someone who can't see us because there's so much fog and lights. God sees us. He hears us, and He understands like what we are doing and what that looks like in several verses in Scripture. And we even sang about it this morning is the idea of incense, right? There's these incense of heaven. So heaven is stinking up and smelling like incense, and those incense are the prayers of vanguard, right? There's a vanguard scent in heaven when we pray. And so in Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And I think this is important because do you ever take the time to consider what God thinks of your worship or what God thinks of your prayers? And this, again, this is what makes it different than a concert. We're not asking, am I entertained? But, you know, what does God think about what's happening? That's the most important thing that we should be thinking about. What does God think about what is happening? Don't focus on what you're getting out of it. And also don't miss the opportunity to understand that God is enjoying it. How much differently will you see prayer now, knowing that as we pray, like, God can smell it in heaven? That's awesome. And the second reason we do it, knowing that God can hear it, is that it brings God into action. And we see this throughout the Bible, the entire Bible, we will see it throughout the Gospel of John, is that it brings God into action. As we pray, God only doesn't just hear, but he actually does stuff about our prayers. I was reading um, in E.M. Bounds, which um, if you don't know who E.M. Bounds is, if you want to learn more about prayer, prayer stud, read, read his stuff. But as I was reading this week, um, he wrote this. Nothing is done well without prayer for the simple reason it leaves God out of the work. In reality, the denial of prayer is the denial of God himself. For God and prayer are so inseparable, they can never be divorced. And so if we believe in God, we have to believe that God hears prayers and that he could respond to them and have an action to what we're praying about. And the third reason is to learn how to pray. And maybe that's the oddball one here. And this is not a judgment on the way anybody prays here. I didn't say, oh man, Vanguard doesn't know how to pray. We need to learn how to pray. But as we hear each other pray, we become better 
prayers, um, the way we address God, um, our tone in the way that we pray, the subject matter that we pray about. All these things are important, and it's grown the way that I pray. If you lead your family in prayer, you, know, you, you could tell over a certain amount of time, you know, a, a family or even a group, as you pray together longer, everybody gets better at it, right? And so the first time you guys pray, it's like, oh, I don't know what to pray for. How do I pray? And then a couple of years later, you're like, oh my gosh, that was an awesome prayer because they're, you're teaching them how to pray. And we are all teaching each other. You can teach me. Please teach me how to pray better. This is something that we can always be thinking about. You've probably heard the acronym ACTS. And if you haven't, it stands for adoration, uh, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication as it comes to prayer. And so we do this very intentionally here. If you write these out on a piece of paper on a Sunday morning, you will notice if, if, if you're filling it out that we actually touch on all these. And this is very intentional because A, as a congregation, we want to maximize prayer, but we want everybody else to learn how to pray you know, sometimes I get myself, my, my prayers get selfish, and so I need to hear that T. I need to hear how thankful people are. Oh, yeah, prayer isn't just, you know, me praying to a cosmic vending machine. It's supposed to be like adoration and worship and enjoying praying, and so we do that very intentionally. We do it because He enjoys it. We do it to get God into what we're doing, and we do it so that we could teach each other how to pray. You guys with me? All right. <clears throat> so worship, worshiping through songs in the order of service. We're going to continue to sing songs. In case you were worried about that, no, we're going to continue to sing songs in January. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude from your hearts. And man, this is a sermon verse right here, so we're just going to touch on a couple things. So much in here to be mined out, but three things that happen when we worship in song. The first is that we express truth through song. It says, the message of Christ dwell in you as you teach and admonish one another. So before singing songs, again, you need to know all the who, what, when, where, why of, of who we're singing to. Like, what are these songs actually about? Worship can't just sound good. In fact, I don't even believe it's a requirement. I've had discussions, even arguments with people about this, whether, it's an, whether worship has to sound good. But if we're going back to Jesus' definition, there was no third sound good option. It's in spirit and in truth. And so the, the main part is that we know what we're singing about. And it's sounding good, that's a bonus, right? I'm sure the angels really appreciate that, that it, that it sounds good as well. But it has to be true in its content. The second, again, is that we worship God in spirit. And so, yeah, in this verse, it talks about as we go through and we gain this knowledge, right, and the Spirit gives us this knowledge that we worship in, in the Spirit or from the Spirit. And I believe that there's a duality to the Spirit here. And I'm not the first person to think this, in that when we worship in the Spirit, yes, it's my Spirit, it's your Spirit is worshiping. You are worshiping the God, the God of the universe with your Spirit, but also it's through the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Spirit. 
Because again, this is knowledge-based. This is truth-based. This isn't let's just sing songs. And so if we're to know the truth, then we have to have the Spirit give us that truth. When we look at the gospel, the gospel is nonsense, right? It's foolishness if we don't have the Holy Spirit saying, no, actually, this is the most important information you can have. And so that truth comes from the Holy Spirit or we wouldn't know it. And so that we have the Spirit giving us the truth to then use our spirit to worship. And so the Holy Spirit is absolutely involved. I believe Holy Spirit must be involved in true worship. And this is another sort of uh, one another, just like we pray to teach one another. We benefit one another when we sing songs together. And this is the truth. I am blessed and encouraged by your worship. When I see people get lost in praise, it helps me to know how to praise and why we should praise and, and what we are doing here. When I hear others sing, it makes me want to sing. And we know this. We know this from concerts and sporting events that we could psych each other up, right? We can build each other up. We can build up this frenzy as everybody, you know, gains momentum into it. But then there could also be the opposite effect if we don't worship God as passionately as we can. And that opposite effect is it quickly turns into a middle school dance. Yeah? And so, right, you have a DJ just rocking out, rocking the jams. The floor is empty and everybody's just off to the sides. <clears throat> and it takes like that one brave soul, right? It takes that one person or our couple to go out there and just break the ice and then everybody else sort of builds up and then it bur it'll build up after a couple hours into a legit dance, hopefully an epic dance battle. But, you know, it takes people engaging it and actually doing it so that everybody joins in. And that's something we need to be mindful of. And that's something you do for me and we do for each other, believe me. It's not that we're watching each other, but as we worship passionately, we, we will build up this passion that we need to have in our worship. You know, and I know I'm, I'm leaning in a little bit on us, right? It's because I love you and I believe this to be true. Worship is not the worship band playing songs and us back up singing to them. That's not what's happening. It's not like heaven and God are back there and then we're just back up for the worship band. We are supposed to be a congregation that sings, right? The band is leading us, not replacing us. And so I'm encouraging you that I want to hear your voices. And believe me, I understand. I have the worst voice. You heard that this morning, right? Glow! It's like, oh, who's dying up here, right? That was me. It's horrible. I understand. You know, I understand that we're not all of us like to sing, right? But we need to do that. And I can tell you the worship band feels the same way. They want and they are encouraged by seeing us join with them and worship with them. That is what everybody wants. And so let me just encourage you to do that more and more. It reminds me uh, kind of funnily uh, of Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31, <clears throat> where it says, I will praise the name of God with a song. Some of you are trying to keep up. I hear those pages. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. 
And so this is cool because God is saying our singing here, he enjoys more than when in the Old Testament people would make these sacrifices. That's great news. That, that, that makes for a much faster cleanup when we leave, right? So this is a good thing. But again, I know some of us don't like to sing. Uh, we're embarrassed to sing. And I think if we're honest, like me, if you had a bull this morning, you would rather sacrifice that bull than actually sing in public, right? I know. I know what's at stake. I know how embarrassing it is. But we need each other. This is the way we encourage each other. And so don't be afraid to raise your voice. You know, sound like me. You know, raise your hands. It's okay. And let me just encourage you to do that in love. This is not a scolding. This is an encouragement to you. Like we have a God who, who desires and is worthy of all our worship. So let's do it. Let's not rob God of the worship he deserves. Don't rob each other of that encouragement. And don't rob your own heart. Don't let your mind psych out what your heart wants to do, which is worship God. And so the songs, yes, we'll continue to sing songs at the same time um, during the service. But we're also going to do offering. And so I know we technically do offering, but we're going to do offering in the order of service. Um, we see this in Matthew 6.21 when Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there are many verses about giving sacrificially and cheerfully. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, but I believe this verse sums it up. If you believe in God, then you have no problem honoring God. You trust God. God's, you know God's given you. If you believe in God, you know God's given you everything. So you don't have a problem giving it back, knowing he's going to use it wisely. You are going to be blessed by doing it. And the truth is, I all counsel people often, whenever somebody comes to me and says, I'm thinking about leaving a church or, you know, they're having problems at their church, they're not sure. One of the first things I ask them is, are you giving? Are you offering? Are you supporting missionaries in the church? Are you invested in that church? Because this is the truth, and there's, there's a lot of literature and pastors who will argue for this. A lot of times when people aren't connected to a church and invested in a church, it is because they are not invested with their time and resources. So, it's almost like Jesus knows what he's talking about, right? When he says, if your heart's not in it, if your life isn't in it, and your time isn't in it, and your resources in it, resources aren't in it, your heart's not going to be in it. And so this is why we offer. And I realize that most of you already know that you can give online. A lot of you give online. Awesome. Um, I know a lot of us here, we give by putting in that black box, uh, envelope in that black box on the table. That, that is Awesome. And so we're going to continue to do that. And what we're not going to do is pass around a plate or a bowl. We're not going to pass around anything. So we're going to continue to give online or put it back in that box, which begs the question, then why are we taking time to do this if we already do that? And that's so that we can make it a form of worship, recognize the form of worship that it is, give you a moment to enjoy your worship, right? cheerful giving. I want us to have the space, especially if you give online, which again is, is terrific. That is awesome. But if it's, if it's going through your bank at midnight, you're asleep, right? You're not enjoying giving that offering. And so when we have our offering time, it's not going to be begging for money, but it's going to be recognizing 
that it's actually worship. So take that moment and enjoy surrendering those resources and trusting in God. I want you to have that space. And the other reason we're going to take that moment, just like a minute or two, is to pray over our offering, right? Like, God, you know, you've blessed us with all this stuff. You know, yeah, please, you know, continue to bless us, but also bless the way we use it. And so, you know, help us find, you know, a more permanent building, you know, stuff like that. How can we minister to the community? God, bless this offering that we've given to you. Help us, give us wisdom to use it correctly and bless this community, this church and Bakersfield. So just the space to pray over our offering, I think, is going to be huge. And just making sure we understand that it is, in fact, worship. <clears throat> yeah, now I'm losing my voice a little bit. Um, and so listen, I know this church knows how to give. You guys get this. This is not, this is not you guys need to give more. No, no. And so in Philippians chapter 4, 15, Paul says this to the Philippians. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. And so I feel like Paul this morning. I am so thankful for you guys. I have been bivocational for I don't know how many years and decades, preaching, teaching, eldering, youth group, children's, you know, we've done everything. I've done everything. My family has been there with me doing everything. And this is the first time I've been able to do this full time. No other church has done this for me. And so I know you know how to give and I am so thankful to you. I just want you to know that. And then the last element of the order of service, which will not happen every week, um, is communion or the Lord's Supper. And we do this based on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so again, what we have here is a commandment, right? Jesus commanding that we do this in remembrance of him. This is our king. This is our Lord. He could have said anything like, do anything, you know, tap your heels, do, do offer a sacrifice, but he, he didn't. He said something that we could do very easily, and that is take communion and remember him. One of his last requests, do this, guys, and remember me. So we are absolutely going to do this. And so what this will look like at first is the first Sunday of every month we're going to do communion. And I apologize that I think we've only done it once since I've been here. I apologize for that. We are supposed to do it, and so we're going to start the first Sunday of every month and then from there, if we need to do it more often, switch to every other week, whatever that might look like, we can talk about that, we can pray about that, absolutely. But we're going to start doing this faithfully, knowing what Sunday that we are going to do it. And so we're going to have an order of service. If you want to put up the order of service. And so there's a lot of flexibility here, but this is what the elements of our service are going to be. We could sing different songs. We could move songs around. We could put prayer here. We could put communion in the middle. We could move this stuff around, but this is what we are going to do in January. You know, so our service is going to, it's going to gain at least 10 minutes. 
I mean, just to be honest, 10, maybe 12 minutes of what our service is now. But I hope knowing why we do all this stuff, why we're going to add this stuff makes it more enjoyable, that you understand and that you engage. And so when we do this, you can be fully invested in what is happening. And so that when we leave the Sunday morning service, you know, we don't ask, you know, um, what did I get out of this? Or am I entertained? But what did God think of this? Did God enjoy this? And if God enjoyed it, how can we not enjoy it? Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.